Well, good morning, Active Church. You feeling good? Because you're looking good. It's great to be with you this morning. Man, how great was it to be able to sing together and, and Pastor Joe bring in a, a fire thought for us and been already such a great day together. My name is Mike, if we haven't met yet, and I serve on the team here at Active Church. And if this is your first time with us, what an honor it is to have you come and sit with us today. There's a place called Guest Central out in the lobby. We have a free gift waiting for you. So if you're new or if you brought someone new, please stop by Guest Central for just a moment. Our team would love to put a face with a name and get to know you in a few minutes and then invite you back. We believe that you can tell a better story here. And if you would give us a few weeks, maybe a few months, we believe that God will do a great work in you and through you. And speaking of a great work, we just concluded six weeks of connection groups here at Active Church, and we had an incredible time. All sorts of groups. There was a group about resource. There was a group that took you deep into the letter of Ephesians. There was a group about gratitude. There was a relationship group. And then my wife and I actually led a parenting group, and everybody who came to that parenting group are now perfect parents, all right? That was our promise at the end, and if you ask them, they will lie to you and tell you that they are perfect parents now. But it was such a, a sweet and precious time. And we have some things that are launching after Easter, and you can get some information. You can be on, on the inside. If you go to our website, activechurches.com, click the groups link. There is a tab there where you can ask for information about what's coming next. We'll be announcing that in the next few weeks. But you can get some information right now about what's coming and be on the lookout for that and be maybe the first to actually hear about what's coming. And there's some really great things coming. So if you're looking for relationships and to develop relationships with others and develop your relationships, relationship with God, then I want to invite you to go to our website. You can do it right now. You can pull your phone out. You're not going to get in trouble. I'm not the principal. I'm the pastor. So if you want to pull it out and actually sign up right now, you can, you can do that. I want to pray some words over you, and then we'll dive into the story of God together. Heavenly Father, we, we gather here not because we want to put on a show, not because we want to be entertained, but we gather here because we feel that there is a sense that being together is better than being alone. And we feel like there is a stirring in our hearts that maybe there is someone that has something that they could say to us that we haven't heard yet or we need to hear again. And I know that in this room and online, there are so many that are on different places and spaces when it comes to their faith journey. God, I pray that you would unite our hearts around one important thing, one important person, and that is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so whatever we're carrying into this place, may you hear us, may you move in us, and may we hear from you, and may we trust in you, because you are so good to us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. And together we say amen and amen and amen. We are in week four of a series called Who Needs God? And we've discovered over the last few weeks that that is a statement, not a question that many people have made. Because many people have walked away from God or they've stayed away from God. And we've also discovered that they haven't walked away from God because of God. They've actually walked away from God because of the people of God, which is why I was so thankful when Pastor Lee was here 
the challenge he laid before us were these words from Jesus, that you are the salt of the earth, that I am the salt of the earth, that we are people as followers of Jesus that give life and preserve life and invite people into life. And then in week two, we talked about what we're left with if we leave God behind. And what we discovered is that we were left with more than just a disbelief in God. We were actually left with a lot of the things that we see as precious and valuable. We were left with those things off of the table. Like we miss out on those things because God actually announces and gives value and preciousness to the things that we see as valuable and precious. And then in week three, after talking about why people leave and us getting it together and talking about when you take God off the table, last week we talked about what happens when we hear about God as a child, whether we were raised in a home like I was raised in a home, a Christian home, a church home or not, each of us have this perspective of God as a kid and often that perspective never grows up with us. And so we don't see God as relevant or as important. And so last week we deconstructed some of those perspectives that may have been inaccurate or even inappropriate. And we reconstructed who God is and what God does through his eyes and his words. And speaking of God's word and his words, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the word of God, the scriptures, the pages and documents that we call the Bible. But, it, but in order to do that well, I'm going to need your help. And so I'd like to play a game with you this morning, if that's all right. I'm going to need your full participation. I know you lost an hour of sleep, but let's be honest. You lost an hour of sleep, not just last night, but you've lost hours of sleep because of previous nights, because you've been watching like The Last of Us, or you've been watching other shows, right? Like, so we're, we're always losing hours of sleep, right? And we're immature, and maybe one day when we grow up, we'll figure that out, but not, not today, right? So I'm going to need your full participation. I need your full energy, because I want to play a game called Finish the Lyric with you. And here's, here's how it works. I'm going to say the first lyric, not sing it, because for two reasons. One, I have love and care for you, and I want you to come back next week, all right? So, so I'm going to say the lyric, and then I want you to respond with the lyric that comes next. And to give you help, I'll point at you when it's your turn, okay? So if you don't know the song, no worries. Jesus still loves you, still going to heaven. But if you do know the song, this is an affirmation that Jesus loves you, and you are going to heaven. I just want you to know. So... I'm going to say it, then you can respond when I point at you. You ready to play a little finish the lyric with me this morning? Awesome. Here we go. Ready? Jesus loves me. This I know. Oh, that was beautiful. Give yourself a nice round of applause. For those of you that knew it, you're going to heaven this morning. Um, actually, that's not in the Bible. You should read it. But um, I, I learned that song... At a, as, at, a, at a very young age, as a young kid. And, and maybe you did too. Maybe you learned that song because you were a church kid or you were raised in a Christian home. Or maybe you heard that song because of people who were church people and Christians that lived life around you. But that song is where a lot of our trouble began. Because the implication of that song is actually one of the struggles and one of the reasons why a lot of people have walked away or stayed away from God. Because the, the song is telling us about something we were taught at a very young age. 
that the Bible is the reason why we know that Jesus loves me. Now, is that true? Absolutely. But it also begins to imply that the Bible is the foundation of our faith. Like it's the reason why we're here. But it's, but it's not. Now, I want to be very clear about something before we move on. Because those of you that are Christians in the room and watching online, you're immediately probably getting a bit irritated with me. So I want to bring, I want to bring some clarity about the Bible before we move on. We believe as followers of Jesus that the Bible is the inspired words of God. That God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, inspired the people of God to write the words of God so that we can read these words and we can know who God is and not have to question it. We can know where we stand and not have to question it. We can know how God loves us and not have to question it. The scriptures, friends, are one of the most important things, one of the most important documents, one of the most important letters that you and I could ever read. In fact, maybe you were raised in a household that was similar to mine. And this phrase in your household was as prominent as it was in mine. And it's this phrase, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. I can remember my dad, my dad Jim, Michael, the Bible says it, we believe it. It wasn't just I, it was we because I was in that house. It was like, you don't get a choice here, Frisch, right? Like you're a part of this. Bible says it, we believe it. And that settles it. And anytime we'd had a really important conversation, my dad would pull out his Bible and he would lay it on the table and it was the King James version. And for some of you, the King James version floated from the sky, from the hand of God, right? And he would open it up and he would open it up to a random verse and he wouldn't even read from it, but it was just there to be able to communicate what he had been talking about and my mom had been talking about for years. This is the words of God and we honor and obey the words of God. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. But for a lot of us, when we grew up and moved out and went to college, interacted with real people, maybe followed some people on TikTok, we found that the Bible doesn't actually settle it for a lot of people. And we began to wonder, well, why does it settle it for me then? And we began to ask questions about some of the things that seem a bit funky in the Bible. That's a spiritual word, by the way. There are some things that seem a bit interesting in the Bible. There are some things that we're like, is that allegorical or is that actual truth? Like, is that a story or did that happen? And for a lot of us, whether we were followers of Jesus, raised in Christian homes, or we were not, but heard about the Bible, began to wonder if this document, this book, this thing that Christians hold so precious, we began to wonder if it's true. And if we began to wonder if it's true, then we began to wonder if is, is God true? Like, is God real? And we decided to leave. Or we decided to stay away. Because what was communicated to us was that the Bible was the foundation of our faith. That the Bible was the reason why we had faith. And the Bible was the reason why we can be Christians. And the Bible was the reason why Jesus came. All of it, 
all of it was contingent on the Bible. And then we were asking questions about it or other people were asking questions about it. And we began to think like, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. So if there's questions about the Bible, does that mean we can, we can wonder and ask questions about God? And for a lot of us, we just, we couldn't sit in that space. We couldn't, we couldn't reconcile the, the tension we were feeling. Maybe that's you. And maybe this is one of the first times you've been back at church in a long time. Or maybe that's you and it's why you stayed away from church. Or maybe that's you, those of you watching online, you fit one of those categories as well. If that's you or if it's someone that you know and someone that you love, I've got some good news and I've got some great news. The good news is this, that the Bible is not above your questions. In fact, the writers of the scriptures, which by the way, has 66 letters and documents written by more than 30 authors over a period of a few thousand years, and they all point in the same direction. They all tell the story of God. You couldn't go to Amazon and find 66 different books by 30 plus different authors who didn't talk to each other and lived in different centuries. You couldn't find 66 books that had the same topic, all say the same thing. But you can when you read the scriptures. You can when you read what the pages and documents and letters of the Bible actually say. And here's the thing that you need to know. Jesus himself even said, you can, you can ask questions. You can engage, you can seek, and you will find. I think that's how we love the Lord our God with all of our mind. That we don't, we don't have to be afraid of the doubt that might creep up because the doubt can lead to better questions for our lives and for their lives and for the life that we want to live as people of God following Jesus. That's the good news. Here, here's the great news. Christianity isn't based on what the Bible says. It wasn't founded because of what the Bible says. The foundation of our faith is not in what the Bible says. It's better than that, friends. It's a whole lot better than that. In fact, Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. Christianity exists because of the resurrection of Jesus. That, my friends is important for all of us to understand. Saying that Christianity exists because of the Bible is like saying that you exist because you have a birth certificate. Your birth certificate says that you happened, right? It didn't come first. Oh man, we really need somebody named Mike Frisch to be born so that we can actually make sure that this is a reality. No, you happened. And so they got some documentation and they wrote your name down and your birth certificate has all of your information and they took your foot and they put it in ink immediately. And then they tell us later on about ink poisoning, but not when we're born, right? And they put it on our birth certificate. Your birth certificate says you happened. And the Bible, in particular, the New Testament, is documented proof that the resurrection of Jesus happened. And so for a lot of us, if, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, if there's questions about it, we begin to struggle with our faith. But friends, you need to know that if we put the Bible aside, if we didn't have the Bible, you know what we would know? We would know that Jesus was a real person who really lived and really died and his tomb is really empty. 
That's what we would know. And the writers of the New Testament decided that people needed to know the details of that story. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes today is I want to share what they wrote. But I want to share why it's really important and why the Bible didn't come first, but the resurrection of Jesus came first, and then we documented it in the scriptures. So I want to take you back to a date, AD 30. This was the time when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And then eight weeks later, the church launched. Not years, not months, but eight weeks later, the church was launched. In AD 30, Jewish men and women of all ages began to share about what they saw and what they heard and what they experienced. And it's actually documented in Luke's second letter in the scriptures, it's called Acts. And I'm gonna summarize for you what they actually said to the people, anybody that would listen to them. They said these words, God sent Jesus, you crucified Jesus, God raised Jesus, we've seen Jesus, say you're sorry. <laughs> that was their message. God sent Jesus, you crucified him, God raised him, we've seen him. You should say you're sorry because he predicted his death and resurrection and then he actually did it. And if anybody can do that, you probably should start by bending the knee and going, maybe we were wrong here. This was the message that thousands of people embraced, not years later, not even as the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman empire, Vespasian, girl, Vespasian, but if you know his story, you probably wouldn't want to name your kid after him, but here's his story. He was somebody that went to fight against the Jewish rebellion. The Jewish men and women were tired of Rome and their domination. And they fought against Rome and rebelled against Rome and they paid a dear price because Vespasian went into Jerusalem to destroy them. And about midway through his destruction of Jerusalem, he handed over the leadership to his son, Titus. Vespasian went on to be the emperor, the Caesar of Rome. Titus took over and Titus had all of the Jewish rebels kind of stuck in Jerusalem. And then they spent weeks and months digging a huge ditch around Jerusalem so that people couldn't escape. And then on August 6th, in the year 70, Vespasian's son, Titus, breached the walls of Jerusalem. And what the people inside of the walls began to see is that anybody who was outside of the walls had been crucified. They had been lit on fire so that at night, Titus's troops could see what they were doing. And anybody inside of Jerusalem that didn't leave would be crucified as well. Titus went to the temple that was in the center of Jerusalem and he burned that temple down. Now, you might ask, 
why are you sharing this depressing story with us, Mike? (laughs) Why is this story important? Here's why. None of what I just described to you is in the New Testament documents. Now you might ask, sounds kind of like it's really important. Why wouldn't they include that? Here's the logical, reasonable, historical reason why this wasn't included in the New Testament documents. Because it hadn't happened yet. It hadn't taken place when these documents were written, which means that these documents were written between the year 49 AD and 69 AD, which means that everybody who was alive when Jesus was alive and then crucified and then resurrected were still alive after he resurrected. And when these documents began to be written and spread all over the nation, people who were there could say, that didn't happen, I was there. He didn't resurrect from the grave. I was there. And what you'll find in history is that nobody, not even Jewish and Roman historians deny that Jesus was a real person who really lived, really died, and his tomb is really empty. You know who denies it? We do. 2,023 years later. Oh, that didn't happen. But what you find is that the New Testament writers in particular, they were there and they wrote about what they saw and heard and experienced. Another little important nugget about the New Testament is that these writers didn't write this as if it was a story. Once upon a time, there was a man named Jesus. They wrote it as if it was historical. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter three, verse one. This is how he opens up the third chapter of the letter that he is writing. He says this, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, the tetriarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, the tetriarch of Euteria, and Triconius and Licinius, the tetriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. Couple of questions. When did this happen? Who was there? Friends, if you were going to make up this story, for whatever reason, one, you wouldn't give your life for this story, which all of the first disciples did. All of the first century Christians were killed because they wouldn't deny this story. If it was phony, if it was false, if it was made up, somebody would give in. And we know that because we see human behavior today, right? We know somebody is going to spill the beans about what's not true. That always happens. Yet in history, you don't see that at all. This is Luke's way of saying, this is real. This is historical. You can Google me. You can fact check me. You can search it up. You can ask anybody you want to ask. By the way, his letter began to be circulated during the time that these people were alive. The reason why he mentions Annas and Caiaphas as the high priest is because the high priest would have a two to three year run as the high priest and then would move on. So he is time stamping this to a place and a moment with people that could deny it and they didn't because it happened because it's true. 
And these documents became so valuable that in the first century, they began to carefully copy these documents. The writings of a man named Paul, who was a murderer of Christians. And then he met Jesus on the way to a city of Damascus when he was about ready to arrest and potentially kill Christians. Jesus stands in front of him and he actually talks about this. Again, Luke records this in the letter of Acts because Luke was the one that investigated this story to make sure that it was accurate. And then they wrote down the writings of the gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And it spread everywhere. Here's why this is important. Because you or someone you know and someone you love grew up, went to college, and had a college professor tell you that the scriptures are not true. You or someone you know or someone you love saw a a TikTok video or an Instagram reel and it had somebody who said that they were a Christian, now they're not a Christian because they discovered that the Bible isn't accurate and isn't factual and isn't historical. Can I just be really honest with you? That's lazy and that's ignorant. And I don't mean to be so judgmental and so fired up about that, but what I don't like is when history is laid in front of you, what is factual is laid in front of you, and you find a reason why to not believe it. And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But I think we need to hear very clearly that the things that are laid before us in our day are not an accurate picture of what we know as fact in their day. See, the first Christians didn't make copies of the gospels because they, were, they believed they were inspired by God and they needed to create the Bible. The first Christians made copies because they believed that the stories were true and they wanted you to know and they wanted me to know. Let me, let me take you back to our timeline for a moment. I'm gonna take you to 312 AD. Constantine is the emperor of Rome. And between 70 AD and 312 AD, Christianity grew exponentially. Like people were finding and following Jesus in an extraordinary, remarkable way. These years are also called the persecution years. The throw the Christians to the lions years. I find it, I find it ironic and I find it funny. This is just for the Christians in the room and those watching online. If you're not a Christian, you're kind of figuring this out. You can laugh at us. I find it ironic and I find it funny when we use words like persecuted to describe what it's like to live in 2023 as a Christian. Nobody has threatened to crucify me yet. Nobody has threatened to throw me to the lions yet. Nobody has threatened my life as a follower of Jesus. I get to do this with a microphone broadcasted on social media, broadcasted on YouTube. I get to talk about Jesus and I don't have to be afraid of anybody waiting for me outside of those doors telling me to stop. When we use persecuted, we need to pause and reflect and probably choose a different word because nobody has threatened my life or your life that I know of. And these were the persecuted years. And get this, the faith grew. The story of Jesus grew 
more and more people found Jesus, maybe because they were as hopeless as some of us are. And they realized that more money won't solve it and better housing won't solve it and get our political figure in the White House won't solve it. Get the right Caesar in Rome, that'll solve it. What they discovered is that Jesus satisfies the soul. That Jesus is the only one that can rescue us from the pit of darkness and from our sin. This, this is why as their lives were on the line, they began to realize maybe perhaps there's more to this life than just getting through the day. The persecution years. Then eventually Constantine lifts the ban of worship of Jesus and he embraces Jesus. And here's what's so significant about this. Constantine looked for the thing that most of the people in the Roman empire had in common. See, I, I believe he was a follower of Jesus. There, there isn't really many questions about that, but he was also motivated by making sure that people got along and that his kingdom would stay together. And so the reason why he decided to follow Jesus and lift the ban of Jesus and make it the national religion is because the predominant amount of people in the empire of Rome, most of them were following Jesus already. And so he wanted to unify everybody under the banner of Jesus. Now, how remarkable is that? That some 280 years prior to that, they crucified and put to death the very man that they are now worshiping as Lord, that many people in that nation are now a part of and following. The cross in the first century was a threat. The cross in the year 312 AD was a gift because people were now finding and following Jesus. By the way, Christianity made its greatest strides in this time, 282 years before the Bible even existed. It wasn't until 388 AD that the Old Testament and the New Testament were put together, which means that before there was an Old and New Testament, before there was the Bible, Christianity replaced the pantheon of the gods of Rome, the barbarian gods, the Egyptian gods. Christianity became the national religion of the Roman empire before anybody had the Bible in their hands. First, second, third century Christians knew that Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. Peter, James, John didn't choose to follow Jesus because of an infallible and inspired Old Testament and New Testament. If we, if, if we came from the future and we showed up in Peter's life in the first century, and after explaining to him why we're dressed so weird, we'll tell him why he's dressed so weird. We would say things like, Peter, I just, got you, I, I, I just need you to know that some people are really questioning the validity of the scriptures. That some people are really wondering if it's inspired or if it's not. Some people are really curious about if it actually holds authority or not, if it's true or not. And you know what Peter would say to us? Peter would go, I don't know what you're talking about. What is the Bible? I don't know what you're talking about. What are you talking about when you're talking about these scriptures? Here's, here's what I know. He would say, I watched my friend die. 
I watched them put him in a tomb. And then three days later, somebody came and told me that the body was missing. And when I went to the tomb, there was no body. And then just a few hours later, I was eating breakfast with the man that I made friends with, that I called Lord after he had been crucified. I was eating breakfast with him three days later by the lakeshore. I'm not following Jesus because of what the Bible says. I'm following Jesus because he rose from the dead. The, the, first, the first 300 years of Christianity centered on an event, not a book. The, the book was created because of the event. The, the greatest question of our faith is not, is the Bible true? It is. But the greatest question of our faith is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? And the writers of the pages and documents and letters that we have, that we call the Bible, answer that question with, oh yes, he did. Because we saw him and we heard him and we hugged him and we had breakfast with him. And he wasn't a ghost. He didn't fall asleep. He didn't faint on the cross. And the cool of the tomb woke him up. These are some of the theories about what actually happened. How ridiculous are these theories, by the way? You and I, when we wake up from a nap, it's difficult, right? Like imagine being hung on a cross and then laid in a tomb, wrapped up like you're gonna die. And then you wake up going, oh, I feel so refreshed. Like that doesn't happen. This, this is what happened. And friends, there is no explanation of the historical successes of the church outside of Jesus rising from the dead. We are not here if there is no resurrection. We are wasting our time if there is no resurrection. This is pointless to worship and follow Jesus if there is no resurrection. Are you with me? The Bible is documentation of what they saw heard and experienced. The Bible is not the foundation of our faith. Jesus, who he is and what he's done is the foundation of our faith. And we are here because he is alive and not dead. So if you grew up with the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually good that you turn your attention to the words of God. But if you heard that phrase and maybe in your own heart, you struggled with believing in God because you had questions about the Bible, hear me, good. There's nothing wrong with asking questions about the Bible. There's nothing wrong with being curious about some of the things that are curious in the Bible. But the thing that I think is really important for us is if you walked away from faith because you had questions or doubts about the Bible, you have an invitation back because our faith is not grounded in the Bible. Our faith stands firm on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Listen, defending the Bible is a modern day version of Christianity. First century Christianity was defensible, persecutable, 
fearless, compassionate, compelling, endearable because of the resurrection of Jesus and because of what it caused the people who followed Jesus, what it caused them to do, how it caused them to live. So if, if I may, I am not a lyricist, I am not a musician, I am not someone who is really great at all when it comes to music, but if, if I may, at, 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 the, at the issue of maybe, I don't want to offend you, but I, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to rewrite the song that we sang at the beginning of our time together. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. So I'd like, I'd like to rewrite it to make it a bit more accurate. And it may not flow like that song flows, but I think that what we have learned today is that the song would be better if it goes this way. Jesus loves me, this I know, because Luke thoroughly investigated the story, spoke to eyewitnesses, of the events of the life of Jesus and makes sure that it was so, right? Hold on, I got three more. I got three more, all right? How about this? Jesus loves me, this I know, because Paul, who hated Christians at first and then met Jesus, risked his life to tell me so. How about this one? Jesus loves me, this I know, because the first, follower of Jesus, first followers of Jesus were all martyred because they believed it was so. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the early church defied an empire and a temple because they were convinced that it was so. I know that that's not folksy, right? Like, I leave that up to James and Joey and the team. I let, I let them figure that stuff out. I just throw stuff out to them. But, but friends, the greatest question that we could ask of our faith is not, is the Bible true? The greatest question we could ask is this, who? is Jesus. Who is Jesus? And what you'll find is that in history, including biblical history, is that we've been given an accurate, appropriate, and powerful look at who Jesus is and what Jesus does. That the men and women who experienced Jesus, what they saw, heard, and what they interacted with, they wrote it down because they're like, you, you gotta know this. And when these letters were being passed around, people were still alive that were alive when he was alive and put to death and resurrected. And nobody has denied it. Nobody dismissed it because it's true. And what we find in the Bible is what is true. So may I invite you to reconsider Jesus. In fact, over the last few weeks, we've had a challenge after each conversation. We were invited to pray together. We were invited last week to read together. May I invite you to memorize the scriptures with me this week? And I, and I got a scripture from John who was there, saw Jesus, was in the tomb, saw him resurrected. John who interacted with Jesus, who took care of the mother of Jesus after Jesus ascended back into heaven, John. He writes these words, and maybe he knew that eventually these words would be collected with all sorts of other words about God. But he writes about his letter and he said these words in John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
would you memorize that this week? Would you set an alarm and read through that and then maybe get it in your mind and get it in your heart so that when you find yourself or find others questioning the pages and documents and letters that we call the Bible, you can respond to yourself and maybe even to them, hey, these things were written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And by believing, we may have life in his name. Hey, these things were written so that we may believe that this is true and historical and accurate so that we can actually have hope and we can actually experience love and we can actually experience forgiveness and not forgiveness that only lasts for a moment, but forgiveness that lasts for a lifetime and even after the lifetime. These things were written so that we would know that the Savior and that the Lord that we call God is God and not just one of the gods, but is a God who defeated death and resurrected from the grave. That's why these things were written. What it announces for you and to you and for others and to others is that your faith isn't based upon what the Bible says. Your faith is based upon the resurrection of Jesus, the event that brought us what the Bible says. I know for some of you, this is new. Faith is new. The scriptures are new. And so could I, could I give you three, three books to consider, maybe even read. If you're not a reader, get Audible, plug it in your ears. It's powerful when you're on the drive to work or on the drive to school. Can I give you three books that have been really helpful for our team, really helpful for our faith? The first book is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by a man named Gordon Fee. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth to help you understand what's this thing that we hold in our hands or have on our phones. The second book is, is written by Gordon Fee as well. And it's how to read the Bible book by book. Meaning that you read it from Genesis to Exodus, to Leviticus, to Numbers, to Deuteronomy, to Joshua, to, right? Like you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke. How do I read it book by book? How do I understand this? Because often we will think in, in linear terms and, and what the scriptures teach us is that it's not in linear terms. It's telling the story of God that culminates in Jesus and his resurrection. And if, if you're just really curious about Jesus, there's a great book called Irresistible by Andy Stanley. This book has been so helpful for so many people, including myself, that I think that I would invite you to maybe get this one first, especially if you're curious about Jesus. Because the greatest question we can ask is not, is the Bible true? The greatest question we can ask is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Who is Jesus? Because that changes everything for us. Friends, in just a moment, we're gonna take communion here in the room. And there are tables to the side and in the back. And each and every week we participate in this as a church to orient our focus, orient our hearts, orient our minds around who Jesus is and what he has done. Because it is finished, it is accomplished. But for some of us, this is, this moment is fresh or new, or maybe we don't quite get it yet. And what I'd like to do is just pray some words over you and invite you to make a decision to trust in Jesus. And this isn't all that you need to say to God, but it could be the start of your faith journey, a journey that isn't just inquisitive about Jesus, but a journey where you begin to find and follow Jesus. So I wanna pray some words over you. And then in that prayer, I wanna give you a space to be able to say some things to God if you're ready and if you're willing. And it could be just private to you. It could be in your own heart. It could be in your own mind. 
this to be the start of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then when we say amen, we'll take communion together. So Heavenly Father, thank you that we are not people that have to make up things and call it faith, that to have to create stories and call it belief, but that we choose to believe and have faith because you are a God who came and died and rose again and it's historical and it's factual and it's good and it's true. Which means that you are historical and factual and good and true. And for some of us, we've been inquisitive about you, we've inquired about you, we've been intrigued by you. Maybe right now in this moment, we need to move from being inquisitive to a follower. And so if that's you, would you just pray these words in your own heart and in your own mind? Just say, Heavenly Father, I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today. And I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I wanna follow him for the rest of my life. God, as you hear us cry out to you, may we be confident that our cry to you is heard and that our cry to you is answered by your faithfulness and by your goodness and by your promise that you are with us and not against us, that you are for us and will do life with us and then give us life after this life. And while we're here, we experience your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. So may we as a group of people now take communion with our eyes on you and our hearts in your hands, bending the knee to who Jesus really is. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray all of this. And together we say amen and amen and amen.